Hello, and welcome to another episode of our podcast series, Conversations with Sound Artists. I'm Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute. And in this particular series of conversations, we're focusing on um, collaboration between directors and their sound designer, sound supervisors. So I'm thrilled to be sitting at a table with Darren Aronofsky and Craig Hennigan to talk about their collaboration. You guys have worked on five movies together. Um, obviously, Darren, uh, I think one of the most daring and original filmmakers working uh, in, in American cinema today. You guys started, uh, your first movie that you worked on together was Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. So how did that relationship start? How did you guys meet each other and what, how did that? You probably have more memory than I do about that. <laughs> I probably do, yeah. Um, Darren was shooting in New York and the dailies were being done at Filmhouse up in Toronto, um, which is now Deluxe. Um, and I think the story goes, what I re- recollect, is on Pi, it was Brian. Brian Emmerich. And, and yeah, Brian Emmerich, a great sound designer out of New York. Um, but that was it, right? And, yeah. and Dominic obviously was a mixer, but there was yeah. not a whole crew. And I think what, what ended up happening was with Requiem. I don't even know how we did Foley on Pi. You might not have. You might, Brian might have just cut a few yeah, things maybe. and stuff. I don't really um, remember. Because that was probably like, what, a three or four or five day mix. It, oh, it was a, the Pi was like a week mix. Yeah, I remember. And, and it was back in the day when... The mixer was allowed to smoke, so it Dom was like right? Dom was a chain smoker. There were like little burns in the console of where the cigarettes burnt out. So it was it was a different time. Yeah, um, I think when Requiem came along, because it was a bigger bigger budget, yeah. I think somewhere in your camp, someone realized that you, they needed Foley, Foley. <laughs> dialogue editing. Like they needed yeah. a sound crew. Yeah, they yeah. Needed, and, and and through I think through the dailies. Yeah, um, a lot of times in Toronto the sound would get thrown in sure. if the lab deal was sort of done. Oh, right, right. So right. somehow oh. there's a, there, not necessarily a payola thing, but there's like, a, like if you if you do your daily, you do us, your lab work, we'll do a sound package right for you. Now. Here's some great mixers. Here's some talent. I was part of um, Sound Dogs up in Toronto at the time. Right. And uh, the initial contact for Darren and, and, and Requiem was through Nelson Ferreira. Nelson was um, original Sound Dog and it came through him. Um, and I was just a sound designer working right. sort of as a co-op. That's what sound dog sort of is. And, uh, that was it. But I was hired, um, initially just to cut backgrounds and doors and all the, all the sort of regular stuff. Brian and environmental. I remember doing environmental stuff with you, like right. thunderstorms. And yeah. The storm stuff. and, and, uh, but it was all, a lot of it was sort of pitched to me as the regular stuff. And then Brian was going to do all the, you know, the hip hop sequences and all the sure. other kind of stuff. But I think. I know our relationship took a step when I just took it upon myself a couple times to do a little bit more designer aspects. The one main one I did was the shaking of, um, was it Jared and Yeah, and when they're Marlin in the jail. In, in the jail. Screens shaking. And, Help. Yeah. And oh, and it was this. interesting because we actually, yeah, we got the sound wave and actually they did, you and we sh- shook, did the the, around. shook the visuals yeah. to the sound, yeah. which was cool. Yeah. We used the sound so that, wave to control that. the shake. So for some reason, I always remember that one. And I remember Darren liking that. Yeah. And uh, and I think out of that was sort of the beginning of like, oh, maybe this guy is a little That's bit more than just, you know, cutting doors and sirens and guns and stuff like that. But then at some point, because you guys ended up coming to Skywalker for the mix on Requiem. Yes. Yeah. And so, and that's how I got involved because, you know, because I ran Skywalker at right. the time. But I had been told like, well, Darren's got his sound guy. So he's, you guys, it's only about We had already been cutting. Yeah, we had already been this, this editorial crew for sure. And the idea was to mix it, always to mix it up at uh, Deluxe. But upper management in the, at the last minute, they did this whole shuck and jive thing with 
the certain mixtures that Darren had vetted, and then they, those mixers were no longer, I don't know if they want to say employed or around, and then they tried to do this thing with these other mixers, and none of us and wanted to. what to, filmmaker to doesn't dream, you know, in our generation to go to Skywalker, right. not knowing that you're the off the grid for five <laughs> weeks in the middle of nowhere as a 20, 20 still talks about it. 29-year-old. <laughs> I mean, that was the only, I loved Skywalker, and I loved working with the team there, but it was, I mean, you're like, Going to the middle of a desert, unfortunately. It's a yeah. I mean, look, I I lived that for eleven years when I ran the company, it's, and I, I watched a lot of different directors come through there, and some some guy some people just loved the isolation of it. Yeah, and for some people, it was like being in a sensory deprivation. I would love the isolation now, but right. back back then it was pre-internet and it was pre-cable, so and there was like nothing on TV. Yeah. There was not so it was it was very it was very. I mean, now it's not as big a deal because we're all connected. Well, so. and also, but your style is is different than a lot of directors in post-production specifically. Cause we worked, you know, we'd work with a lot of directors who would come in like for two days a week and do playback and notes. And then they'd go back right. to LA, mm, but right. you know, Oh, we, I live there. Yeah. We pretty quickly figured out with you that we couldn't actually pre-dub on two stages at the same time because I had you, to be present because you had to be present <laughs> during the pre-dubs. Well, I, I, you know, the mix I think is a huge creative part of, of, course. Uh, of the film. And I'm always amazed when I hear that filmmakers aren't, there you know i mean the directors aren't in the room often for a lot of it yeah um but i think we you know back then i used to sit through the, di- the dialogue mix and the, he, still and the does. he still to this day i mean not everything still- but well, less because i trust you guys now we know like i know they know what i like so they're pretty close when i get in i'm just sort of the same thing with maddie and the di like sure i let him do his work and then i come in and see a few other things but well, We've been also, doing this long enough that it's that's the importance of having a team that you trust. Right, but that, that first movie that you worked on, Requiem, I mean, the, the track is really adventurous and there's a lot Definitely. of great, you know, really cool sound design stuff that was going on. So, it, you know, it took a lot of finessing on, on the mixing stage. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of work. And I, I do remember that one time we were down for 18 hours. Do you remember that? Weird? Was it a full 18 hours? It was like yeah, some tech crash, like something time. crashed and we then we almost moved to another stage. I, I, I mean, it, I remember so well. I remember I read because I was in the... Um, uh, what's her name? Um, Humphrey Bogart's um, the Lauren Bacall? Or- no, not the Lauren Bacall. Um, the other one who's an African queen. Oh, out. the uh, Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn room, and I read her biography while I was there. <laughs> Autobiography. So yeah, what Darren's great. talking about is at the at Skywalker Ranch. There's a little bed and breakfast where where the filmmakers stay, and each George, you know, Lucas made each room is themed based on somebody that he admires in the film. So uh, the Akira Kurosawa I didn't get has, the Kurosawa room. That like would have been great. Japanese decor. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that Kate Hebron has some sort of like New, uh, England, African New England cottagey kind of. Yeah, 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 it was. It was sort of like a safari type of thing. <laughs> you know, but it was great. So I want to talk about Mother. Please. Um, uh, obviously, you were like, move along. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I was immediately struck by the sound design on the film and, and the, like the house is a character in the film. The house is obviously a rich metaphor. I think it, for me, 
I've always toyed with making a fully subjective movie. Um, Pie was very much from um, you know Max Cohen's point of view, and I've always played with it. Um, but I think this is the first time that I fully submitted to the rules of trying to make every single shot in it from Jennifer Lawrence's character's mother's point of view, except for the opening shot and the closing shot, which is from Javier's point of view on purpose. Um, and that was a, um, I think that that allowed us for the first time to really try and do a fully subjective sound design. The other, I think, significant thing that really influenced the film is when we decided to go without a score. Um, what happened is I hired Johan Johansson to write a score and we worked for six months together on a score. And so did Craig work with him as well, you know, like he always does with the composer collaborating with sounds. And um, Johan wrote some incredibly beautiful music and we put it up and we did this test screening with it. I mean, just for in-house and suddenly the film stopped working. <laughs> and I realized it had nothing to do with the quality of the music. The music was beautiful and the music was actually thematically and, and supportive of exactly what was going on on the screen. But I realized music is actually an objective tool. It's a tool that a director uses to tell an audience how to feel. Let's get a little bit more scary now. Mm -hmm. Let's get um, a little bit more relieved, a little bit more happy. Whatever you want to do, you can do that with music. But the music wasn't coming out of Jennifer's character. It was coming out of um, you know my mind. And we wanted to make the film purely from her point of view. So we realized that the music was tipping the emotion. It was basically the entire film, people are leaning into the movie to understand what mother is experiencing. And if you pushed it, then it kind of lost its balance. And when that happened, it became a huge job for Craig because it was suddenly like, well, I got no music. <laughs> now, we, now, now we really have to unleash everything we've always wanted to do. And I think this is the first time, you know, that, uh, and definitely the best example of any sound design I've done in my career because it's a, it basically carries the film. And it's funny, Ellen Burstyn came to a screening just the other night with someone who was, a, I think, a director. I don't remember her name. And afterwards, they were talking, and and she sent me an email about what they liked best. And she was like, "Yeah, my friend really loved the score." Uh -huh. <laughs> I didn't write back or anything, but basically, <laughs> you yeah, ruin that sort of. Yeah. But I think what the person meant was they liked the, the atmosphere and the sound yeah. design. Right. But it almost becomes a score, right? The creaks. Yeah. And so the, for the sound designer, that's like that's that's like a great they dream. They right? don't come <laughs> along every day. <laughs> a, film, sure. a film that doesn't yeah. have music in it, but it's also yeah. it's also kind of like a terrifying moment as well. Yeah, I mean, there, there was like, well, Hennigan, it's all on you. Go. You know, and and uh, and we did. We did our best. And there were times where we actually, you know, Darren and I always try to push. And we a lot of times we'll go too far, uh, and we'll live in that world for a little little while, a week or a couple of weeks, and then eventually it gets back to sort of where yeah. where. It, um, speaking of the like the music, sort of telling the audience how to feel. There was a few times where we were doing sound design that was right. telling the audience how to feel, and then we realized like that was. You not so you would work, you would you, you would know? maybe introduce some tonalities or rhythm in your sound design. Yeah, would, no, little, no rhythm. Not so much rhythm, but tonalities and 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 droney things. But as, even as just, long as it wasn't musical, yeah, it was interesting. As soon as you heard an instrument, yeah, it became it very became, because audiences are it just stuck out. Because yeah. we tried, we took we took. Um, we tried to take Johan's 
um, elements of elements of, music, of it yeah. just like because he had these he's incredible incredible sounds that he makes with glass and all these weird instrument people that play violins yeah. incredible avant-garde type of stuff that were incredible sounds but as soon as you recognize an instrument it just stuck out it was yeah. bizarre it and was it like, was no matter where we mixed it how we mixed it and it, it, the it's first just, pass we actually left some in yeah. we were like all right we'll let's live, we'll live with it yeah. and then the next pass was like out all out that was all out out i was just like i was like it's not right it's just it, we can it hear it was a different the, feeling the film as a as a whole if you look at sound as part of the fabric of, of everything that you're working on it didn't it, 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 it stuck out it didn't need it it was a color that we didn't need in the in the film as a piece that that added anything well so i'm kind of curious to kind of dig into this a little bit more because you also you know um black swan is also a very strong pov film at least for me viewing it um and and in that sense um you know she she's in every scene of the film it really is you know and both movies i feel like the sound design gets increasingly intense as the film goes through because sure. you're sort of exploring what the break apart of, of that character's yeah. psychology is. But why does the music work in Black Swan, but it didn't work necessarily in Mother? Well, I do think that it's not as subjective, that movie. There's wide shots with characters to, when she's with other characters and stuff. In, in Mother, there's never a wide shot when she's mm. another character. In Mother, there's never does an actor cross between the camera and Jennifer. Really? It's, That's yeah. a rule. It's the, it, the only place the camera could be was over her shoulder looking at what she's looking at, on her face, and sometimes that was the same shot, continuous, and her POV. That's it. So it was basically two shots or three shots if you split up the uh, over the shoulder and her close-up for the entire film. And uh, when she was alone, we allowed her to walk into wide shots because we felt that her and the house were one, mm. connected. And that was it. But otherwise, um, the camera was always with her, which is uh, leans into like why, um, you know, it, it's hard to remember that when you're watching the film because you're ba- there's basically 66 minutes of close-ups of Jennifer, yet she never bores the audience. She keeps it alive every moment. Um, without having music to lean on. Yeah, without having anything to lean on. She's the score Yeah, on a lot of levels. She, she, she is. is. She she's the it. rhythm. She's the pacing. She's the... I think the ballet... Um, I mean, it, Black Swan was about the music because it was basically a reinterpretation of Swan Lake. So there was never a way we could ever even have thought of it without music. I mean, it's dance. So you need music for dance, right? Obviously, but I'm thinking yeah. about the score that's in Swan. That, that's in. I mean, in most the of the what Clint did in that, I would say, and he wasn't um, eligible for the Academy Award because there was too much Tchaikovsky in it. Yeah, it was. It was mostly Tchaikovsky. I mean, I don't know percentage wise, and then Clint would take elements of it and manipulate them, and then put them sure. into a more repetitive nature that became more score like. So there were long sequences that are all Clint. Um, but they were everything was inspired and sort of pulled out of Tchaikovsky, and um, but but a lot of it is uh, the ballet because we wanted that. I mean, one of the big things I did in that, if you remember, is I took I went through the music of the ballet and I actually would stop and write in order what scene each piece was on top of. Hmm. So we had this map. Because I wanted the whole thing to be a reinterpretation of Swan Lake. Mm. So it's actually in order. I remember Matthew Bourne, the great 
choreographer mm -hmm. and director from the UK saying, you didn't have to do it all in order. And I was like, thank you, you noticed. He was the only the one, one who ever noticed it. I was like, the one guy who noticed that I didn't cheat yeah. was great. Um, yeah. That's the one guy you want to notice that. But I don't know, it's just strange that music didn't, uh, it didn't click. And, it, and, it, and it, I think it just, it made the film stronger. And yeah, for me, I was like, absolutely. I've never seen a horror film without music. And right. so that was, or a scary or a tense, I don't don't necessarily call it a horror film, but a tense, a film that has tension as a major part of it, not having music is weird. Yeah. Yeah. The, the distinctive way that you shot the film, how did that kind of echo through post-production? Because you were in post for a long time on this film. Right? It was a 53-week post. It was a crazy long post. Besides the complexity of the sound design, which how many weeks were you on? You were probably on. 50-odd. 50, 50 yeah. weeks. Yeah. I mean, it was a 26-week wow. post originally, and then, <laughs> oops, we, we kept going. And, I, you know, I was in New York for four months straight, and then we were out for, you know, a few times here and there even before that. So, yeah. I mean, it adds up, you know. I It was a strange one. It was the film, because I had no coverage, right. every moment had to work. Well, I was about to say, how did you spend 50 weeks in post if you had no coverage when you shot? Because there are more visual effects in Mother than there are in Noah. Really? Yeah, there's 1,200 shots in Mother. But uh, they're hidden. Well, yeah. We were manipulating the frame and doing crap. I mean, some shots are blend three blended shots because, you know, Moses, who was a great cameraman, just in that one take when Jennifer did something great, the camera was not quite in the right place. So we're able to, you know, yes, we're playing with a 16 millimeter image. So the size of a postage stamp, but we were using every part of the image to get everything we could out of it. And I think once the music didn't work, I think sound was a lot of work because... Um, then you had to give Craig some additional time to... Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was, Yeah, no, we spent a lot more time together on this one than we did on Noah, for sure. Um, and it kind of ever brought me before, back... Than ever before. Brought me... Yeah, I guess. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a little, um, it's a little weird to say, but in some ways, Noah, from a sound perspective, is more straightforward than yeah, Mother. It's yeah, more I, I would film. say that, you know. Um, I think we... There was, there was just more exploration in Mother, you know, in terms of going deeper and, and figuring out the layers and how many layers we needed when. So Darren had a lot of rules mm -hmm. in photography about what he could and couldn't do. Did you have rules uh, for the sound design? Know, we never really talk about rules specifically. I, I think there's, you know, everything, and this started in, in Requiem, um, he likes repetition, this repetitive mm -hmm. nature of sounds, natural sounds are, are a big thing. Anything that ever gets too synthetic or too overworked, um, he tends to bounce out right away. So I don't even really present it to him unless I really feel strongly about it. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not really rules in, in, um, in the grand scheme of it. it it's like, you know, certain panning rules come up like how we pan something and when we pan something uh the subjectivity of of jen and and where we are in, in relation to her with the voices that are in another room um stuff like that you know but never really talked about in 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 those terms of like we have to do it this way all the time um and that's probably because we've worked together for such a long time yeah. i because i'm because i mix and design and I'm, it's a constant evolution of things and he's in quite a bit by the time we get to sort of the final mix for say we've had all these dress rehearsals so mm -hmm. everything's really been vetted and everything's been every single creak every single footstep every single breath you know it's it's darren's there every single and then, and then it often becomes placement in the room yeah. where we're discussing about, let's that. Take it, you know yeah. we get into a lot of discussions because we love the three-dimensionality that you can do in theatrical sound mm -hmm. and um 
so we have a blast doing that. Just, I mean, that's most of the fun. Definitely, at that point. definitely. Once, but that time, the once the content, once yeah. the sounds are, are are working and he's happy with the sounds, it's it's yeah. But also, it, the yeah. sound design reached even into the dialogue. I mean, that was a huge part of the film because in ADR we were miking Jen's heart, miking her breath, miking diff- different ways she said things. Um, because of the huge crowd scenes in the Fever Dream, the last third of the mm-hmm, film, mm-hmm. we had major ADR groups like over and over again doing yeah, the, we did craziest, layers layers. the craziest of things. And then they had to, it just wasn't dialogue cutting. Then it had to be treated and created and, and synthesized and like affected. Yeah, basically. It was more like sound design. Stuff right. that would normally come to me. Like I think on the final mix, I think Skip literally just took the production dialogue and and the principal ADR everything else was on on my side of the desk that which means is all, all every the, all extra the, and then any musical <laughs> elements if we did play with musical elements all came through my side as well and then we would decide that right. we didn't we're going to use them anyways but all that sort of stuff was vetted through through my side of the and, the and none of the crowds were scanned were canned everything was created was live and yeah. specific by yeah. ADR yeah. Did, did you participate in the, the group ADR sessions I ran them because did I you did, really because you knew that it was going to be you needed well that. and also I didn't show them any images yeah it was hard uh, that so way. I had to go it was actually I had a great time you had a great time but it was yeah but cutting it was us. <laughs> because Jill and I would be like I don't know what, it was nothing what it was something nothing supposed to be yeah, yeah, I, definitely, like, I, definitely, I definitely worked with directors who were like the hey group ADR I like group ADR I hate I hate uh work the actor ADR thing because it's such really? anal work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. Like working with Jennifer is fun, you know, and certain actors are, are easy with it. Other actors are tough, but ADR for me is like painful. Group ADR is fun because pe- it's like having fun and it's like acting class for everyone. They yeah. get to, you know, try different things. In this film, we didn't put the picture up. So I would just be like, okay, so they're carrying something through the crowd that's like a holy relic. You know, and so you have the interpretation that you're going to, you know, yeah. and so I would be directing them inch by inch. And then it was up to Jill and Craig to then, you know, create layers because we only had 10 people in the room and it would be 70, 80, 100 people. I was about to say, yeah, by the time you get to a lot the of work, room, a, lot, and, a lot more than 10 people in that room. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just the layers. And then, you know, and then it, it wouldn't always fit image wise what Darren had directed because they're not looking at anything so the energy wasn't quite right so then we'd go back and he'd do another session you know and, and that's the great thing about Darren he's like okay we'll go back and we'll get more and we'll do more and yeah, we and then more, we got more, layers more. and then Darren would be like I know I shot this I know I had this and then we'd figure that out and pull that over from one thing that we thought it was for over here and bring yeah. it in the great thing about nonlinear editing and, and editing mixing designing all at the same time is yeah. this constant flow of of um you know that sort of idea like stealing something from real five and putting it into six sure. because yeah. we know it really worked and right. it didn't work in five but now it works and yeah. you know so we would do a lot of that and and the fact that he's there is he knows what he shot sure. and then we didn't use canned stuff you saves know, you a lot so of, it's, it's more efficient it's if, more efficient it just takes it does that, but it takes a longer time to get it to the level because it needs to be manicured and cultivated and mixed and then redesigned and layered. But then it has it's, little it's tidbits like, in know. it, you know, things like even when you're doing crowds, you'll have little things that will break through that are just like gems. That one person in that crowd of 80, 90, 100 people yeah. screams out and it cuts through and, yeah. and it adds something to the yeah. film. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing we didn't talk about was, um, you know, creating a character of the house, which yeah. you had started at the beginning. Which was a huge undertaking because we always knew it was something and and we wanted it to be biological. So 
a lot of sounds came from Jen. Um, were processed into creaks and different types of sounds. We then, when you say they came from Jen, what do you mean? We recorded her in all different types of ways. So we recorded her heartbeat. We recorded her breathing. We recorded her crying and just ha- closed, lowered the lights and just said, "Try to cry for a few minutes." Really? And then took those sounds and stuck them and in different became, places. They became, became different types of sounds. We would dovetail in and out of of creaks and and, and actually manipulate her voice in certain ways. There's this little stethos, digital stethoscope mic that. You know, Darren used and would literally put it on her chest or on her neck and get different sort of type straining wow, sounds and stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's just a, a nice little thread that if you're listening, you, you'll catch it. Um, so that that's an important thing. A lot we always try to. But do you guys have biological you, 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 stuff. You played with that a little bit before. Yeah. When I was listening to Black Swan again, one of the things I noticed was like you know when when she goes to um, uh, to the to the director to ask for the part, um, you guys introduce her heartbeat in a in a way in that scene. Perfection is not just about control. It's also about letting go. Surprise yourself so you can surprise the audience. Transcendence. And very few have it in them. I think I do have it in them. Ah! The biology stuff and the breathing and the, and stuff that's born out of, I think it's born out of the the main characters a lot in Darren's yeah. films. And, and so we sort of mine that for all it's worth. Sure. And I, I feel as a sound designer, that stuff connects the audience with that person of much course. easier than the, yeah. than the coolest sound effect in the world that I could create. Yeah. If you have something that comes from Natalie or Jen and that, and you can manipulate it in a way it just becomes, it's just for specifically for Darren's films. It, it, it just connects you, I think, in a, in a better way, and it just and it, you know the audience feel... is not consciously aware of it, but it just it it, it reinforces this connection between yeah. Jennifer and the house. And... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think all these little things we do. Oh, yeah, sure, the audience misses so much of it, but I think you know the the you know the magic is in the details, right? And it's like every element is, in Mother is bespoke. You know, we are just you know carefully doing the best we can at every moment and that's i mean that's the only way i know how to do it is just keep pushing us to the limit to make every moment interesting to an audience and and you do that by doing things that you know are going to take you five hours and no one's going to pick up on it except for us for us (laughs) and there are millions of those those. but they do I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, have seen the movie. A lot of sound people have seen the movie and go, wow, you guys have done some really interesting yeah. things, you know. And I, like then, within the first five minutes, I was know, like, oh, this yeah, is going to be a really so. interesting <laughs> It's going to be an interesting yeah. track just because the detail work in the house was so, so specific and evocative. And, of course, I'm I'm listening to it differently than most people. But, yeah, sure. But I'm very aware that there, I'm, there's no music here. I'm not being kind of led through it. But I've also seen your films, and I also know that, like, this is sort of like they, they kind of it's, this is a slow burn. They tend to, you know, build and build and, 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 and become like a, restraint was a big thing initially. The restraint sure. was a big thing in the first few reels to, to make it alive, but not tip our hat and, right. and, and, uh, and make it intriguing um, and give that ear candy. You know, but it's very gentle at the beginning, but it, it was, it was that slow burn is very, you know, it's very purposeful for sure. You uh, said something <clears throat> uh, earlier that I wanted to follow up on, which was kind of using dialogue as, as an element of sound design. And the reason why I was thinking about that was, um, cause I, I went back and I looked at the films again, knowing that we were going to talk. And, uh, I was, when I watched the fountain, there's that 
you guys did something really interesting with the tree of life sequences. There's really, there's almost no, there's very little ambience work in it. It's really the, the, it's the voices and not a lot of reverb on the voices. They're just very present. And then even in, in fountain, there's a, a wonderful scene where they're, when they're in the hospital and you shot it in extreme close-ups on, uh, on the two characters and the all the beeping noises from the hospital yeah. went away and it just their their voices were very dry and i'd never really heard people treating dialogue like that before in such a present way and for me it had a really interesting kind of psychological effect it was almost like i felt like i was in their head you shall wear it when you find eden and when you return I shall be your Eve. I mean, I don't remember the conversation. I do, I do remember fading out the hospital noises, and that makes total sense to bring the focus in. And we yeah. probably played with verb and brought it down yep. to make it more intimate in the way that when you're close to a lover and they're saying a word to you, there isn't reverb. There's nothing else in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just that world. word. So it's, it's about using sound to, in the same way you use every element to tell the story you're telling. And that's a good moment where we basically wanted to show their intimacy. That, and so we made the sound intimate. And I think that's what we always try to strive for is like, what's thematically happening here? Because that's, you know, my God is story and I pray to that. <laughs> and so I, I try to serve it in every way I can. And so I ask all the collaborators, DP, sound, music, Everyone, this is what's happening here. Bring your craft and and do it. And you know, yeah. Do you have a sense of? I think that you use sound in a really interesting way. Um, and so, full disclosure, you know, Darren and I have known each other since we were what, like nineteen twenty, maybe. Um, and I remember your your short films, uh, Supermarket Sweep. You know, yeah. from when we were in college. We actually co-directed a film. We co yes. The, I mean, I, I, not a film, but a, uh, a little a video. A, a little a little video exercise yeah. that um, I think I still have in a VHS. Tape oh somewhere. gosh, I, <laughs> blackmail time. Yeah, exactly. I will never put it on YouTube. <laughs> um, so, but I'm curious about like where that awareness of sound as a storytelling tool started to come in from you because I can guarantee it wasn't like in our college classes when we were doing stuff. But you were. But I remember your short films in college, yeah. like. You know, you were already doing stuff that nobody else was doing in terms of camera placement, editing. I don't know. I mean, uh, I you know, I, it, it was just a natural feel. I mean, I remember one of the things that got me so juiced about filmmaking because um, when I was in college, I did Will Ryman's drawing class. Did you do that class? I didn't do that one, no. Right. He was great, great professor. And uh, 
you know, basically he was teaching through the year how to turn a three-dimensional world into a 2D plane mm. and all different tricks that painters and artists have used for that developed technologies basically of of interpreting what you're seeing and and then uh, turning reality into a flat image um and then after that i i had i tried to get into sculpture and filmmaking right and i ended up in filmmaking were you in gazzetti's class or i met or you moss we did um i took gazzetti (laughs) there's a little inside yeah actually so i took gazzetti's class but then you and i met in uh, in second year second which was but but i was in gazzetti too so what you take a year off i did take a year off that's what it was (laughs) but but we we did our stuff together in 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 in, miklos yangshow miklos yangshow so he's a great hungarian filmmaker famous famous hungarian film director yeah, we, so we took this we took this film class together. <laughs> he 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 didn't speak any English. Well, he so did, but he said he, he understood. So he, he had a very very sexy French translator. <laughs> he taught that he was taught a little the, weird. That's why he took the class. <laughs> he, ta- he taught the, he taught the class in his broken French, which she yeah. then translated into English. English. It was a very weird year. It was very, but it was good, it was and great. it was more being exposed to his work was interesting. Of course, you know, seeing those incredible long tracking shots yeah, he yeah. used to do. He was yeah. an amazing director. It, it was something. Um, but uh, how do we? Oh, so how did I? So in that first in Gazzetti's class, they had that assignment where you had to make a portrait film, right? And I and that was the first time I started playing. With what was your What was your music? Portrait film I did a little film on this weirdo that I met driving in Latin America. This kind of crazy guy who was into it's really cool that this one i wouldn't be embarrassed to put on youtube but he was like <laughs> was this kind of crazy guy who was into the cia and into lsd and into mayan archaeology and we bumped into him me sean and luke um at, in palenque it was like we pulled our car this is way off but you'll cut it but we pulled our car into palenque and the car next to us had Massachusetts plates as well. So we waited for this guy to walk out of the jungle. And Jimmy O'Leary came out of the jungle. He was a crazy dude. <laughs> Jimmy O'Leary. He used to smuggle in. He he had a pet shop, but he would stuff the snakes filled with cocaine and smuggle <laughs> them in to Boston and then slice open these exotic oh snakes God. to get the coke out. So, so anyway, he was a character. So, so this, I, he so became I, a good friend of yours. I wouldn't say a friend. He became my, <laughs> the subject of my short film. Right. But uh, I remember doing music in that. And I remember this one cut I made where he's, he, he says something and then I cut to this music moment. And, and the image changed and I realized the power of, of, of montage. I just had it in front of me and it was like goosebumps. So um, I, I had, that's where I, that's where I lit. I had a I had a same experience there you know in the basement of Seaver working yeah. on sixteen and you, there's there can be that magic moment of alchemy that happens when you put the right sound effect or the right music with and you know as a filmmaker it's nothing but compromise you can never get the shot the way you want you know the location didn't come through the act you know but sometimes that magic moment yeah. happens and it becomes a movie yeah and it's yeah. super thrilling yeah. We had a bunch of those on this one. <laughs> what the, like, this isn't going to work comes, ever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is so bizarre, you know, um, but we're going to go for it. So we kept doing that. Yeah. So, Craig, you know, I, I don't think I'm telling any any secrets here by uh, saying that you also work for w- with directors who are not Darren Aronofsky. Um, <laughs> and you actually won an Emmy for your work on Stranger Things. I did, yes, uh, just recently. Thank you. Uh, I had no idea. Congratulations, Thank dude. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go on stage and everything? Yeah. Oh man, yeah. that's awesome. I got back um, three days before because I was finishing up the <sighs> yeah yeah the, the and, and the deliverables and stuff, and I, I jumped on a plane on a Wednesday, and then on that Sunday, 
Um, By so the way, did nice, you make nice the near field homecoming. mix? I did it out here. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't See, heard it yet. Told you all about that. Oh. So what I was going to ask you was, mm-hmm. how, how is working with Darren different than other directors? Um, you could compliment your other directors. I realize <laughs> they are. I, well, I like the Duffer Brothers. A lot of them are disciples like of, of, of Darren, for sure. A lot of them are... Uh, Am I that old? No. Freak. We're, we're, getting, we're getting there, you my guys. friend. You look good, though. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. <laughs> for an old guy. Right. Right. Um, what's the question again? Um, no, I mean, every director is different, right? You know, and, 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 and some directors are... are uh, every director is obviously visually oriented and and some of them want to dig into the sound and, and go for it and other sort of guys hire you because of who you are and they expect you to sort of do your job and then um in that situation i try to sort of like bring to the table what i you know work with darren and sort of that that aesthetic or that work ethic of actually getting sound in front of someone early and and developing those sort of things so those are the things that um I really love about working with Darren that I try to apply to, to my other working relationships. Um, so that actually leads me into, I'm kind of curious, like what, how do you guys normally work together? And obviously mother was kind of an out, outlier, but are you showing him the scripts before you go shoot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He reads the script as soon as we uh, decide and we get input. He sees an early cut, right? Yep. You see the assemblage. Yep. Um, I mean, often, you know, during production, I'll we'll have Craig sent someone up to the set. Call Anderson actually up to the set. Oh, call! To, yeah, yeah, call. Call somewhere. Well, they were shooting we know, another, we know another old college friend of ours. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so they were shooting in Montreal. So Call being on the East Coast, it, he's it got was, his beautiful was, place up there. Yeah, yeah. By he wasn't that far and, away. Yeah. So he, he came uh, up on a weekend. Up, yeah, right, and recorded the house. He recorded the house. We also did two other old Victorian houses as well as initial. You know, initially when you read a script and, 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 you know, I had a couple emails back and forth with Darren, it's like, okay, start, start collecting sound, start you know, thinking about things. And so there's like sketchbooks of my stuff at home of just ideas. If I was just thought of something, I was like, oh, I'll write that down, you know, and then Call and I start this whole early recording system for Darren and we did it on Noah and we did a little bit on Black Swan, but definitely Noah and then definitely took it to the next level on Mother. Yeah. So that by the time we got into actual editorial, you're we, feeding him elements and you're putting them in your rabbit Yeah, track. yeah, no, that happens too with, with Andy, myself, and, and Andy Weisbloom, our, um, yeah. our editor. Um, so that that's always going on. So generally, nowadays I'm out here for for the initial chunk of things when I fly in to New York and right. we'll fly in for spotting and and then. Well, we do that. That's a big know. part of the process. Is we do a big spotting session which is usually two, three days. And it's usually after I've lived with the movie for a little while. So I'll usually have four, four or five weeks on it. I'm already cutting ideas. Um, and then we'll do, uh, you know, Spot. at least a two day, a two, dive. two and a half day we deep go, dive. We, and we go frame by frame yeah. and we talk scene ideas and, and scene by scene and just talk yeah. about different ideas. And it just, yeah. and, and how much is music a part of that conversation? Music's right? usually in the room. In right? the room. So Johan was in the room with us. Johan, and we've done it with Clint too in the past. It's yeah. always, we've always, since the beginning, we've Tried always to unite. done that since, right. since Requiem. I think we've always been a team. Sound and music is all one Unit, one thing, and and so, and um, and not using sound should flow between the two, you know, if possible. I mean, we did that most successfully on. uh, I mean, the collaboration between Johan and Craig was tremendous. It just didn't see the light of day, but uh, you know, we we, Requiem and Fountain were deeply intertwined. Intertwined, yeah. Yeah. 
the the scores with Chronos Quartet and the, and, yeah, and, and, and the work music. with uh, just with Clint with and Clint, and, and, and Clint Brian myself. There was sounds for, flowing back yeah. and forth between everyone. Clint would take a certain sound sure. and use it musically. He would then manipulate certain musical elements. So there was there was a lot of a that. lot of discussion, a lot of like how much music here, how much sound design, and you'd make decisions about forth. what what should step forward and what should step back. Yeah, yeah. between yeah. Them. Well, a lot yeah. of that happens in the mix. Also, that yeah. everyone everyone comes with a lot to the mix. Often and then usually you're carving and seeing what's more important here, you know. In this case, it was just about carving sound design. We didn't have to balance it with anything. Well, Darren, kind of similar question for you. Why do you keep hiring this guy? What is he? What? Why? Why is he? Why is he? Why is he uh, great at what he does? Um, I well, he has a natural talent um, for you know understanding sounds that makes sense so i look for filmmakers who understand thematically that understand story you know that can see story and then can interpret it in their craft and it's you know sometimes rare to find those people and when you find them you hold on to them so i think he has that ability and he's an incredibly disciplined and hardworking and organized which is a decent part of the job i would say <laughs> the, bigger they the get. scale yeah. the scale of the complexity of of this uh, if you looked at his you know pro tools screen it's like insanity it's you know like barack obama's schedule you know <laughs> it's like i don't know that was a weird it's reference an interesting it's way to good. describe it but yeah i don't know is that a soundbite right there <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but you know it's just unbelievable um, richness to what he's doing and um, so I you know I just know I'm having someone who's working as hard as I am and thinking about every moment those are the people I work with you know me and Maddie famously fight everyone on set and it's only because we're fighting over our, our crafts and we'll, and and that's um, that's part of it you want to you want people who are pushing themselves to do the best work they've ever done Thank you. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. Great. <laughs> Darren, Craig, thank you so much for coming and doing the show. It was really fun talking to you today. And congratulations you on Mother. The, the track is amazing. Thank you very much. <laughs>